It's been an interesting week and for me, week for me in preparing my message. Um, I was, we were down at Darren and Gloria's last night, and at 8 o'clock I said, we've got to go home because I haven't got a message. And uh, the reality was, I, as I told Cindy earlier, I had like five pages of notes, and I just didn't want to go, to it, go there. And last night, it's, I don't know, about 11.15, 11.30, I, I think I figured out why, because I don't like talking about the stuff I'm going to talk about. So I'll just give you that up front. When you see the title of my message, you might think, that's pretty weird. The Frustration of My Salvation. (laughs) How can our salvation be something that frustrates us? I feel like that little kid with a square wheel on the front wondering, why is this such a bumpy ride? Isn't it supposed to be easy? Isn't it supposed to be easy to change? Isn't it supposed to... Be different? Shouldn't my life look different? And reality is yes, 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 but no. You know, a question that I was thinking about, and I shared a little bit of this with Julie this morning. You know, there's a single question that we hardly ever expect an answer to, but we ask it all the time. Anybody know what that is? How you doing? How you doing? What do we usually say? Fine, great. If you're married, you say blessed. And that's all we expect, right? Matter of fact, when I hear that, because I think this way, two questions pop into my mind when I, when I hear that or say that. Hey, how you doing? First question is this. <laughs> you don't really want to know. And the second one follows right on its heels. I really don't want to tell you. And then I have to ask myself, why? Especially to the last part. Why don't I want to answer that question? Why don't I tell you? Now, if you ask me, how am I doing? And I know you're talking about my physical things. Yeah, it's not a big deal. You know, I can whine to you as well as anybody else. Yeah, my foot hurts. My head hurts. My neck hurts. My arm hurts. Basically, my whole body hurts. I, mean, I can go there. It doesn't bother me so much. But you look at me and say, no, Mike, really, brother, pastor, friend, how are you doing spiritually? I start to squirm just a little. Because I know I'm falling short. So I feel like a failure. So I'm not that impressed with myself. And I don't want you to know any of that. Because I still might have you fooled. So I just squirm a little when you ask that kind of question. But then if you ask me, how are you doing emotionally? I quit squirming, I turn and run. Because I'm a guy, right? Not going near those feelings, those emotions. I don't want to touch it. I certainly don't want you to know how I really feel. Pretty much about anything. You know, as a Christian, do we dare answer those spiritual and emotional questions in an honest, open, transparent way? And I'm convinced that that the wrong answer to that question is one of the primary sources of my frustration with my salvation. I have this idea of salvation. And then it goes beyond that. I have an expectation, or at least I have an idea about your expectation, in my mind, what my salvation should look like to you. Anybody struggle with that? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I wonder how I look to the rest of the world. 
Maybe I can fake it if they don't ask me how I'm doing spiritually and emotionally. You know, for a Christian, I think we have trouble with that. I know I have trouble with that. Little less now than I used to, thank God. But I have trouble with that because I have somewhere in me yet this idea that it's a religious idea. That's what it is. It's a religious idea and it's a worldly idea. It's certainly not a God idea. But it's that somehow or other, this Christian life is supposed to be perfect and great. As soon as I get saved, I'm supposed to be almost perfect and I'm supposed to be almost great. I'm supposed to be that way in all my relationships, especially in my home, with my wife, with my children. And when it's not, you don't want to talk about that, right? You want to talk about what's going on inside of you. You know, there's a scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17, that I think if I, if I take it wrong, it really frustrates me. And the scripture simply says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's in the NIV. In the New, new American, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, first of all, when we, most of us have heard that. Have you ever heard that verse? You ever heard it applied to you? You know, I've got to confess, I've applied it to some of you. I've shared it with you. I've encouraged you with it. And I'm not so sure that I don't do more harm than good. Because, first of all, we need to look at the context of that verse, but I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the context of the verse. But the context of the verse is really... We used to look at the world this way, and we used to look at Jesus this way. Before I was saved, I had an idea of the Messiah. Whoops, now that I've met Jesus and I'm saved, I have a different idea of the Messiah. All those old ideas have passed away. All things have become new. But that's not how I usually apply that scripture. I take it from that context. And I believe, I don't believe we're getting careless with the word when we try to apply it to our life. I don't believe that. But it's good to know exactly what the context was. But I read that scripture and I go, old things. Boy, I know what this old thing looked like before it got saved. You know how I acted before I got saved? <laughs> You're not getting any details. I acted like I wasn't saved. That's how I acted. I partied like I wasn't saved. I treated people like I wasn't saved, especially my wife. I could fake it with most people because you could put on that thing and smile and make sure everybody likes you because they have to because I'm so darn insecure. So you do all of that and then you think old things are passed away. Oh good, that's all gone. And then all of a sudden they discover, no it's not. It's not all gone. It's still in there. You know what? After I was saved... A lot of the time, I still acted like I was not saved. I got saved as near as Cindy and I could figure out in 1984. Somewhere. You giving me 1983 now? Well, the bad news is, and I'm just going to lay it out here for you today. We got married in 1981. Wasn't saved till 1983 or 4. Shoot, what'd she expect? I was an unsaved pagan. No wonder I was a jerk. No wonder I was a control freak. No wonder I was jealous. 
No wonder I was critical. No, wrong, no wonder I abused her about every way you can imagine, verbally. Guess what? 1983-84, I got saved. Lindy, Cindy was living a hell married to me until after Luke was born. The problem with that is he was born in August of 87. Do some math. I was saved in 83 or 84. And I maybe have shared this with some of you. I know I have individually. But there was a time when after this had passed, thank goodness, it would have been bad if she had told me before then, where my wife came to me, who I considered the luckiest woman on earth. That's right. Married to me, man. You didn't get better than that. Confessed to me, because she was a good Catholic girl and raised up and there was no such thing as divorce, she would go to bed at night and pray that... There. Pray that she would die before morning because she couldn't divorce me. And I'd been a Christian for three years. You know, as a husband, that doesn't make your day. (laughs) Amen? Amen. For four years, it was like that at least. So I've been saved almost 29 years now. And guess what? I still act like I'm not saved sometimes. So when I look back and I say, gee, God, in 2 Corinthians it says that all the old things have passed away. I'm a new creature in Christ. I can really feel condemnation if I go that direction. What's with that? The good news is I'm telling myself at least that I'm not the only one that acts and feels this way. It will make me feel a little better about me. But I think it's a common problem amongst a lot of us, especially in the area of our emotional health. Now, I, I don't, I'm, you know, don't get me wrong. If you know me very well at all, you'll know I'm not a really into all this touchy-feely stuff. You know, I'm not into this um, emotionalism as such. But you can go too far and think because we're Christians, we don't talk about feelings. We're not concerned about our emotional health. I believe one of the problems, and I'm going to share it from my own experience, and, and some of these ideas are coming from a book that I'm reading with some other guys and Bob and their life group. It's called um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I believe most of us, here, let me just put it right this way. Let's get personal. I believe most of you are emotionally immature. How'd that make you feel? So that proves how emotionally immature you are. If you had a negative thought, negative reaction. You should handle that, right? No, I, really, I, I truly believe we're all emotionally immature in so many ways. And I believe that's why that, that transformation that, that I want to happen in my life, that I had hoped God would just come down and zap me and it was all gone, because all things are old, things are gone, passed away, and all things are new. That's what I'd hoped would happen, but it didn't. There's no doubt I am a new creature in Christ. I was born again by the Spirit of God. My Spirit and the Holy Spirit are in unity. But this mind of mine, my my mind, my will, my emotions, there's just so much garbage in there that it has to be dealt with. And I think one of the important things to understand is what are those old things that have to pass away? 
And if we get religious and if we get fearful of, of presenting ourselves any way other than the Sunday smile, we don't talk about those things. And if we don't talk about them, we don't acknowledge them. We bury them. And if we don't acknowledge them and we bury them, we certainly aren't repenting of them. And God isn't setting us free of them. So I'm coming to this conclusion that these times and things in our life that bring us to that place of almost unbearable pain or anguish are a gift from God to cause me to recognize what in the world is going on in me that He needs to heal, that I need to let go of. We were singing that song, you know, letting go of everything and, and running to Him. I had this picture of a great big boulder with a chain and one end anchored in that boulder and at the other end wrapped around my ankle and me knowing I'm attached to that big boulder and Jesus is over there and I'm running but I can't get any further than that chain will let me go and I'm holding the key in my hand. But I don't use it. And then I wonder why God, how come I'm staying connected to that emotional boulder Shame, guilt, condemnation, fears. Just put anything on that list of fears. Rejection, fears of people, fears of dying, fears of you. Who cares? Just put it on the list. And I have the key. And you might say it's Jesus, but no, Jesus is there. The key is me acknowledging it, confessing it, and repenting of it, and asking Him to heal me of it. But something keeps me from doing it the way that I should. So what do I mean by emotionally immature? We have so many things hidden and buried emotionally. Most all of us. Some of you, I hope, have dealt with it all, but I haven't quite yet. If I can keep it buried, if I can keep it hidden, you know, the broken relationships, the insecurities, my anxieties, my, my fears of rejection, that anger issue that you can't let anybody see because then they really won't like you. you know, we keep them buried. Well, the problem is they eventually show up, and usually they show up where? In your home. With the people you're supposed to love the most, care about the most. They get to see it, and then you almost have to swear them and get them to sign some kind of commitment. They'll never tell anybody. Please, don't tell anybody what I just did today. We hide it. And I believe as long as we leave these emotional things buried under all these layers that I've developed to protect myself, they remain untouched by the transformational power of God. Not that he can't. Not that he doesn't want to. And he does sometimes peel things back where you're ready or not. But I believe most of the time he's going to bring us to a place where we're ready to let go of that boulder, acknowledge that it's there, God, dragging this thing around and pretending like it's not really there. That's pretty stupid. We need to acknowledge it's there. Emotions that we've picked up along the way of living. And frankly, most of us picked them up in our homes when we were little kids. Did you know that? Most of you did. We pick all kinds of insecurities, all kinds of, of, of lies about ourselves, really, because we hear something that's said to us by a parent or a sibling or a school teacher or somebody, and, and 
we turn it into this truth, even though it's a lie that somehow we're worthless or not good enough, unlovable, blah, 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 blah. And we, 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 then we try to hide it, pretend like it's not there. Now, I'm not trying to pick on anybody's family because, you know, I don't want my kids pointing at me either. So if your ham- family was pretty good and you were raised in a pretty good home, that's great, but guess what? My first parents blew it. So did yours. My first parents were Adam and Eve. They blew it. Shame. Lying. Hiding from God. They blew it. And we are still living with the consequences of our first parents' sin. And we have to deal with that. Christ dealt with it. And we have to turn to Him. So I'm beginning to understand in my mind, at least intellectually, that this process that I look at in in Corinthians, it says, all things are passed away, all that old junk's gone, all things are new. But now there's some other scriptures that bring me some balance. For example, in Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed, right, by the renewing of your mind. And I think all of us understand that's a process. And I go, oh good, it wasn't all supposed to happen instantly. My mind is in a process of being renewed. In Philippians 3.20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform this body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory. That's good news. I can hardly wait. The older you get, the more you can hardly wait. So the body is going to be transformed. And then one more scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, I like the word all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. All of a sudden I can start to sigh a little bit of relief and say, you know what, this process is taking place. God's working at it, but you know what, I have a responsibility in it. And that's where I come back to. I can't leave things buried and pretend like I'm fooling God. I can fool some of you. Can't fool Cindy much. She's experienced most of the worst of it. It probably could get worse. I don't know how, but it probably could have. But we can't fool God. But we keep trying to fool God. And we need to realize that it's time to get transparent and honest so we can get emotionally healthy you know what do we typically do I'm going to share with you a time when I got really 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 insecure all my fears of rejection were just roaring and this will scare you too because it was when I was going to become the pastor that ought to scare you Man, the elders had asked me to consider it. Cindy and I had prayed about it. It had been prophesied more than once. And yet when it came right down to it, who am I? God, you don't have a clue what you're doing today. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't have a degree to hang on the wall. And that was just the beginning of the list. They've seen me laying on the streets and in the back alleys, some of these people. That's because they were laying there with me, however. How in the world can I be the pastor? Oh, man, it was like, what did I do? Well, I think what any sane person would do, I pressed in. I'd been going to church. I was on the elder board. I, I, oh, man, I started reading the words seriously. 
I mean, I got to get smarter. Man, I'm going to study the Bible harder. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to enter into worship like I've never entered into worship before. I'm going to read about spiritual warfare, and I'm going to take authority over these things in my life. Man, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do. And the reality is, they're all good things. They are all part of our spiritual development. That's how we become spiritually healthy, by doing a lot of those things. But you know what can happen? And it certainly happened with me. It made it easier to hide the other stuff. Because in my own mind, I was making some improvements, believe it or not, honey. I was getting a little better. You know, you do those things, God's going to do some things whether you cooperate or not, right? So all of a sudden, I can even start to hide behind my spiritual health. As my spiritual health is improving, I could say, you know, I'm not so bad. It's getting better. Yeah. Aren't I good? (laughs) At the same time, still struggling with those things that you're trying to keep hidden. Sarcasm. Critical spirit. Anger. All of those things that are there. But now they're a little easier to keep buried because spiritually things are looking a little bit better. But the key was still missing. And I believe this is the key. And some of the things that the Lord has been showing me over the years in the ministry and the years of doing, uh, going through Steps to Freedom in Christ with people and seeing God transforming lives, it's so exciting to stand up here and look out and see the transformed lives. God, it's just amazing what God has done. But I am convinced He wants to do so much more with us. As we were talking and singing God of the City, it's like, you know what? There is so much more to be done in here. But boy, we can do it out here, especially when it gets right in here. If we take emotional health and doing the things that it takes to get us emotionally healthy, and at the same time take our spiritual health and do the things that that require us to grow and be healthy spiritually, it will be an unbelievable transformation of who we are. But we need both, not just one or the other. A number of you have went through the steps to freedom in Christ. Man, it it causes you to go to an emotional level if you're really going to go through those steps and discover some stuff that's inside of you that you've tried to keep buried and hidden. Not so much that other people don't see it, mostly because it hurts to go there. And as we go through the steps to freedom in Christ, God does this amazing thing, and, and healing starts to take place. But you know, one of the things I've observed, especially from people who go through this that may not attend our church, is the ones that get emotionally healthy, healthier, and then grab a hold of the spiritual disciplines that they need in their life. Life groups, being in the Word, prayer, worship. They just keep going on this place of spiritual and emotional health, transformation taking place. But those that just kind of go through that emotional thing, they feel this wonderful sense of relief. But they don't do anything on the spiritual side. This ugly soup that we call the world we live in just sucks you back into it. And slowly but surely, those things crawl back in. And there are also times I see it in my own life and the life of others where we've done this and we're doing this 
but we're still not quite honest and transparent and it's a painfully slow process and sometimes it seems like it's going nowhere, it goes backwards. I believe that transparency is so important. When I was growing spiritually and my emotional health was kind of stagnant coming along a little bit because God was dragging it along, it struck me how I was still not comfortable. I, there, was, there was joy, but not the joy of the Lord that I wanted. There was contentment, but not near enough contentment. You know why? Because I was always afraid that you'd see me for who I really was. You catch the lie even in that statement? I was afraid you'd catch me for who I really thought I was. I didn't understand who I was in Christ because I didn't really understand who God really is. How much He loves me. How much He cares for me. I picture the cross, but I kind of just blow it away because you get used to talking about the cross. But He got nailed to a cross for me. He suffered for me. And until I have a right concept of how much God loves me, who He really is, His holiness, His righteousness, all His attributes, as I get a hold of that more and more, all of a sudden I begin to discover, you know what? I'm a child of God just isn't some words strung together in a little book somewhere called the Bible. It's true. I am a child of God, created in the image of Christ Himself, being transformed one painful block at a time, into the image of Christ. That's who I really am. And all of a sudden, I don't have to walk in fear all the time of being discovered. And when I discovered or found out, I'm not even talking about what we would consider evil, horrible, dark sin, even though it's all evil, horrible, dark sin. My fears, my anxieties, my controlling spirit, my sarcastic tongue, my jealousy, my envy, those are evil, dark sins because they get between me and the Lord. And they needed to be removed. I needed to deal with them, acknowledge them, and go on. Otherwise, there was no way I was going to experience the life, the, the, the life, the life that we talk about as the mission of this church. To help you. We exist to help you discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. That's why we're here. That's our promise to you as a church. We promise to help you do that. Gee, i got to get there first. Or at least be on the same path with everybody else, right? We need to be emotionally healed. And when we're not, we can fake it for a while, especially if our spiritual life is growing a little. But those around us will suffer the most. You suffer internally, I suffer internally. I'm not content with who I am, where I'm at. I'm still hiding things. How can I experience, experience the abundant life in Christ when I'm worried that I'm not good enough? That God doesn't love me. Or if He does, it's conditional. As long as I do everything right. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28. You know, when, when I originally cried out to God, and I've shared this many times before, but for those that maybe never heard, I was miserable. Cindy would be up in bed. We had a baby upstairs. And I'd be turn off the TV, turn off the lights, laying on the floor in our old house out on the farm, just crying out to God, if this is all there is, I'm out of here. This isn't good enough. 
That was my cry. So here I was, I'm better, but I was still not anywhere where I felt like I should be. And the scripture in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You ever feel like his yoke isn't all that easy and it certainly isn't all that light? Well, I do. You know, in, in ancient Palestine, what they do, they'd make those yokes. The yoke is what went around the oxen, right? They're on their head and it was laying on their shoulders. And they would make it out of wood. Doesn't sound all that comfortable, but they would custom make it for the ox so they could put it on that oxen, that wooden yoke, and it wouldn't chafe or cut or, or wound the animal when it was being used. And Jesus is saying, My yoke is easy, my yoke is light. You could translate it this way. I have crafted a life for you. A yoke to wear that fits perfectly for who you are. It's light and easy, I promise. That's what he's promising us. But at the time, I wasn't feeling it. But I was ignoring the emotional component I think men start with one strike against us. Religion gives us a second strike. And then depending how badly we struggle with rejection in our life and how it manifests in all these different areas, could give us strike three. You know, don't pay attention to your emotions. Shoot, this church still gets accused of being too emotional. You're that emotional church. Well, praise God. Guess where emotions came from? God. That were His idea. But... There's some emotions that don't find their source in God and they get perverted by the enemy. And those are the ones we need to ignore. But you know what? We grow up, just ignore, stick with the facts. Walk by faith. Ignore your feelings. That's not a very good recipe. We need to know the facts. We need to walk by faith. And we need to acknowledge we are emotional beings. Created that way by God. Don't stuff your emotions. Don't ignore them. Don't live that way. As I said earlier, we need to know what the old things are that passed away in that 2 Corinthians verse so we can deal with them. And when we deal with them, God is probably going, finally, child, I'm so glad. You ever do that with your kids? You've tried to tell them something over and over and over and over and over in the most loving way, hopefully. And finally, they get it. Now, if you're a loving parent, you don't go, about time, moron. Inside of you, there's a joy because they're going to reap the blessings of discovering that that you've been trying to show them. I believe that's our Heavenly Father's outlook. You know, those things that are in our life that we're ashamed of, frankly, when we think about them, we're afraid to bring them to the light, He's just waiting and he will put pressure to bear on us. And I believe what trials and tests are, that pressure. And we're so afraid that he's going to get out a stick and spank us or something. In reality, he's just gently nudging you. And then he will push a little harder if we keep resisting. But when we finally say, you know what, God, I confess my anger issue to you. It's me. It's my fault. It's my sin. Please forgive me. 
I believe we don't get those words out of our mouth and the river of grace is released into our life in that area and we will have a power and the grace that we've never experienced before to be healed. And when it's been there a long time, we may have to do that a number of times. But God is just blessed because he knows we will be blessed. We'll begin to take another step down that path that he has laid out for us, achieving our destiny. So I believe there's just this critical link between emotional health and spiritual health. You don't want to ignore one or the other. We need both. But I believe the church as a whole has really, really ignored emotional health at a great cost. At a great cost, personally and corporately. You know, in my own life, when I hear some of those words that have been spoken over this church and then I'm reminded that I'm one of the leaders in this church, Sometimes I just want to hide. Why? Because all of those fears, anxieties, inadequacies, inadequacies, insecurities start rising up. And God's been really pounding away on me to the point that I can get excited about what He wants to do. That I can say, you know what? This scripture I think is true that says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. With God, nothing is impossible. When we sing that song, God of the City, I'm sure a lot of us just sing the song and think it's kind of a neat song. If you know the history of it, you go, that was really cool how they came up with that. But I hope for some of you, you're going, that's right. We can be used by God to transform our cities, to transform southwest Minnesota. We can make a difference. It doesn't matter how little or how big. It doesn't matter. And he can do the same thing out there, right in here. As a matter of fact, he has to do it here first. And he will as we confess and become transparent before him, know who he is, know what he really thinks of us. That's when we can begin to experience that. Paul wrote to the Galatians, and I'm going to read a scripture. I don't use the Message Bible often, but I want to read this in the, in the message from the Message Bible. It's in Galatians 5.22. A lot of you know it's the fruit of the Spirit, you know, the love, joy thing. But I want you to hear it in the Message Bible. And I want you to just think about this. Is this my life? Here's what it says. But what happens when we live God's way? Led by the Spirit. He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others. Exuberance about life. A serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things. A sense of compassion is in our heart. A conviction that basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. That is a beautiful picture of the abundant life in Christ. We call it the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I believe this completely. When the Holy Spirit entered me at my salvation, my spirit and the Holy Spirit are in complete unity. I believe an abundance of that fruit is in there. It's there already. It's there. This fruit is a gift from God. It's there. It has to work its way out through all the garbage in our minds. 
That's why it's so important that we allow this transformation process to take place and do everything we can to facilitate it taking place in our life. Because that's the kind of life that the Holy Spirit wants to manifest through us for more than one reason. One, it'll please God and brings Him glory. Two, it's going to bless my socks off. And three, I am going to be an ambassador for Christ that people are going to come and want to know, where did you find your life? And you're going to be able to tell them about Jesus. It's His heart for us to live this way. The sad reality is, most of the people in a church... A lot of people in Bible studies, reading the Word, doing all those things, will never experience it. And I believe one of the reasons why, and this book that I told you about really shares it clearly, is that we have divorced ourselves from our emotional life. Or tried to. We think we maybe have, but it's there, and it's affecting us. So the question is this, and we'll, we'll be talking about this more in the next few weeks, but for this, just throw out a couple of Questions. Does your concept of a loving Heavenly Father line up with what the Word of God says? Or are you believing some distorted lie that the enemy or someone else has put in your head? Discover. Look in the Word of God. See who He is. Go to the New Testament and discover what God really is like. Then the second question is, who do you think you are? Not the, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Do you believe you are who God says you are? His child. You start asking those questions. And it'll, eventually it should settle that place in your mind of your relationship with the Lord. And you'll be able to continue down that path. You know, I'm not going to go into it because of time, but there's two pictures that come to mind from the Word of God. Can you imagine being the nation of Israel walking through the desert for over 40 years and have experienced the Red Sea, experienced you were free from Egypt. And now you were camped at the Jordan River and over there is the promised land. And you say, ah, let's just stay here. We're free. Let's just stay here. It's going to be a little work crossing that river. Let's just stay here. Who'd be foolish enough to do that if the promised land is there and God is saying, every place your foot shall tread, I have given it to you. Go get it. And another picture from that book made me look at this in a whole new way was of the prodigal son. Now, some of you don't know the story of the prodigal son, but this, this son asked his dad for his inheritance, went off and blew it all on everything. Partying and lifestyle and ends up slopping the hogs because he's hungry and working for somebody. And as he's slopping the hogs, he has this revelation. I think I'll go back to my father and be his servant. A lot of us have, I think, unconsciously adopted the mindset of that prodigal son. I'm going to go to the father and be his servant. He doesn't want you to be his servant. He's called you to be his sons and daughters. That's what he's called us to be. But we can slip into that mindset so quickly. So hopefully in the weeks ahead, we'll talk some more about this. But I want to encourage you to really discover who God is. Ask yourself, what am I hiding and why am I hiding it? And do you trust God that instead of clubbing you with it, 
He'll set you free of it and heal you. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I thank you for your patience with us. God, that you are a merciful God as well as a loving God. God, that your, your grace, your enabling power is sufficient for us to be overcomers. You tell us over and over, overcome, overcome, overcome. And you're, yet, you're the one who makes us overcomers. So Lord, I pray that as we meditate on your word and we, we think about the things I've shared here today, Lord, I pray, God, that there would be nothing that I said would bring confusion. Lord, that anything that I said is that as my flesh would just fall away. But Lord, you would take what's of your heart and really start speaking to each one of us. God, that we can live that life, experience that life of abundance that you have for us. We've been created for your glory. Our obedience brings great blessing. And you've called us to be your ambassadors to the world. God, I truly believe that we can change the place you have planted each one of us as we respond to you. So Lord, I pray you would continue to work in our lives, our hearts, our minds. Give us revelation, give us understanding, give us wisdom where we fall short. Lord, I pray for each of us as we go our different ways, mm-hmm. in different directions today, that you would be going before us. And Lord, I pray you would give divine appointments to each one of us. Then you would give us the words to speak and the faith to speak up. God, so we'd bring glory and honor to you. And Lord, I ask for your anointing upon our Easter musical practice and rehearsal. God, that you would just use that as another tool to reach out to our community. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.